Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I was joined by a friend of mine, Dr. Allie Melendez. She is based out in Los Angeles now, but we did meet here in person, IRL and KC at the LGBT Chamber of Commerce. You hear me talk about that all the time. It's like my favorite group to meet cool people. I mean, come on. <laughs> it hasn't failed me yet. Now, Allie was not a doctor nor a sex educator when I first met her, but you know, we, we teach kind of the two different sides of sex education. She is actually in a school as a sex educator. She teaches kids about healthy relationships and consent and human sexuality. It's at a Montessori school in LA. So, oh my gosh, I uh, wish that we were as progressive here as they are there about teaching facts, teaching science, all the things about human sexuality. Because really, I'm, I'm helping adults who lacked sex education. She's getting proactively in there and helping kids learn and often teaching the parents. In fact, that's basically what she did with her dissertation. She turned it into a book called ABC to STD, What You Didn't Learn in School. So I think the book is a lot more of that letter to the parents <laughs> to help them understand human sexuality and relationships boundaries, consent, all that good stuff, so that they can then better help their kids. But I have a feeling this is a book that I'm going to enjoy having on my bookshelf, and I'll probably either lend out or recommend some of my future clients get for themselves. It's not, it's not everyone's fault. You know, if you're 30 and you're uneducated about human sexuality, it is not your fault. Our society just treats human sexuality as so fucking taboo that there's a lot of adults out there who have information gaps. And that's where I come in. So, thank you, Dr. Allie, for writing this book. You'll help make my job a lot easier. <laughs> and as, you know, really, truly, folks listening, I hope that there one day are so many wonderful people out there and are... are Focus shifts culturally to where kids grow up understanding at, you know, appropriate ages and stages what human sexuality and healthy relationships are all about to where one day someone like me is just not necessary. Absolutely. Work myself out of a job, please. We also talked about porn and, and thoughts about that and how she brings that up and the concept of silence is reinforcement and how parents can better communicate with their kids when they see images and media, you know, specific to talking about a kid watching Game of Thrones and making sure that that kid got some context around things that they were seeing so that silence did not become reinforcement that those things were okay. It's okay for kids to get exposed to things. It's okay for kids to learn about things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, truly. As long as they are receiving proper reinforcement 
of what is healthy, what is consensual, and not simply getting no context whatsoever and then thinking like, oh, that thing's just okay. That's just how that thing works. Like, no, just because you see it in media doesn't mean it's a positive. So I loved this conversation. I love when I get the chance to talk to other sex-positive individuals. I mean, I do live in the Midwest, so it's not like I'm swimming in <laughs> sex positivity around here. So, uh, I wish Allie still lived here, but I totally get it. I mean, she's from California, so, you know, Missouri was just kind of, well, I guess Kansas and Missouri were just kind of a pit stop for her, and that's okay. That's okay. If you would also like your own copy of ABC to STD, check the show notes. There's a link to the Kickstarter and also a link to her website because Kickstarter only goes through December 2nd. I think there's only like, oh, at this point when this airs, maybe two weeks left on that, something like that. Um, But yeah, you can still get in on supporting her with the Kickstarter or simply go to her website, which I've got there in, or find her on social media, which I've got here in the show notes. And then just from me to the listeners, uh, skipped an episode last week. I just got overwhelmed. Um, If you follow me on social media, you've seen that my mother has had some health issues lately. She's still in the ICU two weeks later. And so I've been quite busy dealing with that. And I have had to simply give myself some grace and let some uh, what I call rubber balls fall to the ground. You know, some things are crystal balls and you've got to keep those things going and other things are rubber balls and you can let them drop. It's okay. They will bounce. You can pick them back up and throw them back into the mix. I love the podcast. I love being creative this way, but it was just too much to put out an episode last week and uh, maintain my sanity. <laughs> keep up with everything else that I've got going on as I, uh, you know, am a solopreneur and then got my mom, so... I do thank everyone who's reached out on socials and wished her well. She is making incremental progress and is getting better by the day. So thank you very much for all your love and support. As always, thank you for for all your love and support of the podcast as well. I appreciate it. Got a couple new ratings and reviews there. So if you do enjoy the show and haven't yet written a review for keep them coming please do if you would i'd greatly greatly appreciate that and of course share it with anybody who you think would find this episode or this podcast helpful in their sex lives or relationships okay well enjoy this episode with dr ali melendez On today's episode of Keep Them Coming, I am joined by a friend that I made a few years back through the LGBT chamber. I swear, I'm, I meet half of my guests through the LGBT chamber, but it's just such a great group of people. But I'm joined today by Dr. Ali Melendez. Thanks for joining morning, me. Kristen. Of course. Thanks for having me. So Ali is a sex educator, entrepreneur, current teacher and author of ABC to STD, What You Didn't Learn in School. She's also the co-founder of Greek Allies that was founded to address bias and stigma against the LGBTQIA community among Greek organizations at the University of Kansas. So you are definitely one of the coolest people out there in my little group because I mean, not many people in my sphere 
know like what I do, how I do it, or have anything else to do with it. Like they're just off in their own world going, Kristen does cool shit, but they don't get it. <sighs> That's why part why I adore you. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. No, you you deal with the adults and I deal with the children every day. So I'm hoping to learn more about the adult side with this book. There you go. See, and that is the thing. So Allie is currently in Los Angeles and works at a Montessori school and teaches K through 12. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what Allie does to help, I guess, basically keep people from needing this book that she just wrote because ABC to STD is more for adults who didn't get proper sex education. Absolutely. So yes. I guess first off, uh, let me start by asking what, because I get this question all the time, so you get it now too. What got you interested in being a sex educator? Sure. So what I kind of was dipping my toe into the education world, I taught fifth and sixth grade science was my first classroom to myself. And kind of at the very end of the year, I got asked by my principal to create an entire human development curriculum. And I was so <laughs> overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, well, thanks for the short notice. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I, I even just kind of like, oh, oh, cause that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, for two different grades, which developmentally couldn't have been different. Mm -hmm. I had a very mature fifth grade class and an extraordinarily immature sixth grade class mm. <laughs> that I had to create material for. Uh-huh. So that really was what sparked this kind of sex education, uh, just kind of, I guess, the inspiration for what I do now. But I really kind of put my head down. I interviewed pediatricians, uh, psychiatrists, other kind of child uh, doctors who are very well respected here in our Los Angeles community and worked really hard to put together a curriculum for these fifth and sixth grade students. and. At the end of it, I was so proud to say I didn't have a single parent complaint. Nice. Which to me, I was like, okay, it's a success because not a single parent complaint. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because man, <laughs> when it comes to sex education, there's going to be some people that have some issue, even with you simply doing things like using proper body part terms or giving factual sexual health information can be so triggering for some people. Yeah. But for various reasons, and I think often it, what I often hear from people is that, well, don't we want kids to maintain their innocence? And you know, there's just sort of like this magic surrounding childhood that they feel like they're disturbing. I'm like, no, you're. There's so many reasons to give kids proper sex education. Absolutely, and yeah, that magic. I will say here in LA, kids grow up a little bit faster. <laughs> I, yes, that's probably true. Yes, yes, in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, no matter where you live, sex is going to be around you, whether it's in advertisements or in the television that we watch or anything like that. And being able to have that language, like you said, the correct body parts, understanding what it means to have and receive consent, those things, I don't think there's any kind of age that's too young to learn those kind of things. I agree. I agree. I, I talked to parents about how there's definitely some, some ages and stages sort of things, but overall, there's a lot of concepts that you just, you need to start young with the concept and then build upon it. But yeah, I definitely do deal more with the people who did not get proper sex education. 
And I'm incredibly grateful for people like yourself who are out in the world, hopefully putting me out of a job one day. Really, truly, really, truly. <laughs> I know that's my goal too, is that this will eventually just be taught throughout the curriculum. Like this is just a science class. Yes. But I am yes. a specialist at this point. Yes. So you, again, teach at a Montessori school, K through 12. So tell me and the listeners a little bit more about how you tailor, again, with that ages and stages idea in mind, but how do you thread some of these concepts like consent and boundaries and healthy relationships through yeah. from kindergarten to graduation? Absolutely. So yeah, I scaffold is kind of the the jargon that us educators use. So it okay. starts, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it starts with very kind of those basic building blocks of what does it mean to be a good friend hmm. is kind of that consent piece. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way up until kind of consent and boundaries, knowing what you are more than capable and allowed to ask of others mm -hmm. and also how to treat yourself and how oh, to respect good yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. And that I teach that's pretty much universal from kindergarten through 12th grade is respecting yourself, loving yourself and giving yourself grace is kind of a big one that I try to hit home every I single year. Yeah. Cause that's something that we weren't really taught explicitly when we were children. No. In fact, many of us are probably taught quite the opposite, that our, our bodies are dirty, especially our genitals. Mm -hmm. And you know, if we are caught exploring on our own, the stories I hear from people talking about them being caught. I even, I uh, know one person who got caught sort of messing with toys with their brother, with their butts. Mm -hmm. And their dad came in asking, what were you doing? Of course, they didn't want to admit it. It was winter time. So he grabbed them both out of the tub and threw them outside into the freezing cold until they admitted what they were doing. That's horrific. Right. That's, that's scarring. Yeah, it is. And to think about yeah. as adults, like, I'm sure that there was no talk about, hey, there's a time and a place for that, or you can hurt yourself, you shouldn't use toys, or there was mm -hmm. nothing that would have educated them about what you're doing is potentially harmful, but there are healthy ways to do it, but you're not really old enough for that stuff. So can you kind of just what nothing like that? Yeah. No. And that dialogue is something that a lot of parents are still really afraid of. Yeah. And so I feel like a huge part of my job is kind of being that liaison between the parents and the kids and saying, okay, this is what your kid is talking about. Mm -hmm. This is how you can continue this conversation at home because at home, that's where you can really have those quality conversations and also home is where you instill the ethics and the morals and the values, because that's not what I do. Right. I don't, that's too, that's too much to kind of impart on an educator. <laughs> I love that you're saying that because I think there's this misconception amongst the public that mm -hmm. if we're trying to educate kids about human sexuality and relationships, that we're also then trying to instill values mm -hmm. upon them. And that is something I, I have struggled getting people to understand that I am simply going to provide people with a wide array of information that is factual with no judgment. And it is up to them to decide what fits in with their values or their fantasies or things like that. Like I cannot make that judgment if I just give you the facts. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. The facts are important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's all I give. 
I give all scientifically proven material. Nice. That is all. <laughs> that sounds really empowering too for the parents. Like, cause I'm yeah. sure, can I ask with the location that you're in, are you in a heavily like Latina area or anything like, is it pretty mixed it's as far as mixed. like races? Okay. Simply ask because, yeah. you know, here I've done some parent academies for, um, for schools, which is heavy Latino. And heavy Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a Hispanic Latina, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, so yes. can I ask you about, I mean, you talk about this a little bit on your Kickstarter site for your book. Uh, you probably had one of those typical Catholic Latina upbringings where sex just was not talked about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was really considered something that was so taboo that you didn't even think about asking about it. Like it was just like so off the table. And it really, I think for me, a huge kind of breaking point for me was being in Catholic school, doing my confirmation. And we had a lot of priests getting in trouble for touching small children. Mm -hmm. And I immediately kind of developmentally appropriately was like, okay, why am I listening to an authority figure who was doing something that's just not okay. <laughs> and so I started asking questions and my parents were like, oh, oh no, she's asking questions. Like a little scared. <laughs> yeah. That is a uh, religious parent's worst nightmare is a teen asking questions. Oh yeah. And I, I was definitely the troublemaker in my Catholic school. I asked all the questions, uh, pointed out all the fallacies, all, the, all that good stuff. Nonconformist, uh, I love it. See, oh, again, never kindred spirits here, darling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no. I I just started making crazy things up in in confession, seeing if I could get a rise out of the priest. Like just everything you can imagine. Oh my god. <laughs> it was something involving an orgy. I remember saying like I was involved in an orgy, and how like how many hail marys should I say today? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's a good one. That's like, a good. One. <laughs> Did your parents ever get, because, you know, confession is supposed to be confidential, but I guess it's oh, not yeah. for minors, oh, no. huh? I let them know. And I said, you know what? They said 250 Hail Marys. And I said, you know what? I'll think about it. <laughs> so, yes, from a young age, that was me at 16 going through confirmation school. I did it. I, I went yeah. through it because my dad was really kind of passionate about me doing that. And I, I stuck through it. I did it, but it was definitely, I was kicking and screaming my way through. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you've mentioned the same thing. A lot of people mentioned with a religious upbringing that, you know, sex was just dirty and taboo and you just didn't even talk about it. Can, can I ask though, what was it that gave you the impression that it just could not, the topic couldn't even be broached? It was, I think it was just kind of the cultural norm that I was just kind of brought up with. It was just kind of that unspoken rule of that's just not something that we discuss. It's not something that's seen. It's, it only happens behind closed doors. So was there a lot of control of media like music or TV and or things get turned off or did you get your eyes covered or ears covered when things came on? Well, what's funny is growing up in LA, my parents work in the entertainment industry. Mm. So they always said, you can watch what you want because it pays the bills. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's kind of a weird uh, situation. I watched everything. Uh -huh. 
everything. And I'm grateful for it now. But yeah, I watched lots of things. I cursed at very early ages because I was just mimicking what I saw in the media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. With Legally Blonde taught me a lot of colorful language. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't really told no to any media, but it wasn't discussed. And I feel like it would have been really beneficial for me had I watched something that might have been a little kind of over my developmental <laughs> head at the time and kind of sat down and said, okay, this is what you're seeing. And this is kind of, again, giving me a definition and explaining what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example, legally blonde to be the, I mean, I just brought up, I mean, I was saying the word tits around the house for days. Yeah. After watching that film. <laughs> yeah. Ben and Sam. Exactly. Like, I mean, yeah. It's, it is funny that I wasn't kind of told not to watch anything. And I do see very similar behavior in parenting today. Like I have a fourth grader who watches Game of Thrones with his parents. And I kept thinking at nine years old, I was not ready for that. I'm trying to think about what I was watching at nine. <laughs> I love scary movies as a kid. Like I remember as like a six, seven, eight year old going over if I was at my Nana's house, the next door neighbor, they had a set of four boys. And if my cousins were in town in the summer, we'd all go over there and hang out because we we're all kind of like around the same ranges of ages. And we'd watch horror movies. Oh, like, so good. I, I loved watching <laughs> House and Pet Cemetery, And what else was there? Oh, Critters. Mm-hmm. God, Crit- and Leprechaun. Those movies scared oh. the shit out of me, but I loved them. And so good. my dad let me watch Terminator at a young age. I didn't know there was a sex scene in it until I was older because he'd either make me go in the other room and look for something mm. while he hit fast forward <laughs> or he'd ask, you know, like go outside for a second. He'd hit pause, go outside for a second. I'm like, okay. Uh, but yeah, there was, I feel like there, a lot of people our age tend to fall into two categories. There is either the, you are told specifically, this is dirty. This is disgusting. Don't speak of it. Or you're given like dirty looks or harsh words. Like they're like, don't ask those kinds of questions, you know, that kind of stuff. Or there's just a complete absence. It's like in the moment, you don't really understand that anything's missing or that anything's necessarily bad. But in hindsight, it's almost like you get that, like, yeah, it was just not discussed. And the lack of discussion, the lack of openness about it just spoke for it being something you didn't talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. That's a huge rule that I give to parents who have the students in my class is that silence is reinforcement. So if you're quiet and you see something bad happening, that's going to be reinforced to your child is that's okay. Yeah. So that's something that I discussed with the parent who allows their child to watch game of Thrones is I said, look, if there's a scene where there is something that is non-consensual happening, Mm -hmm. I want you to say, this is not okay. Like this behavior is a film or it's a television program, but in real life, this is absolutely not okay. Yes. Good. Good. Because as adults, we can obviously process that and be like, oh, that scene where they are attacking this woman, that's wrong. But yeah, a child witnessing it does need that context. Yes. 
Yeah, and providing that is very important, especially if you are watching that kind of stuff with your kid. Yeah, that is a little intense, Game of Thrones. It is. I watched it when I was at, in Kansas and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot to handle. I didn't start watching it until I think it was into like the fifth season, something like okay. that, maybe. And then I, I binge watched the whole thing before the start of a season, something like that. Yep. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that is definitely, and I mean, it opens up with an incest scene. Like, come on, well, kids okay. need to understand. <laughs> and, then, and then how do you have that conversation with kids about incest? Uh, it, it, yes. Um, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Incest is one thing I ask kids to ask their parents about as well as bestiality. Cause I have gotten anonymous questions about both. And I do, I tell them, I'm like, these are great questions, but I would really prefer it if you went to your parent with this question. Cause I don't want to instill any of my beliefs. <laughs> well, I mean, we can say like, Hey, this is a non-consensual thing and it's a, mm -hmm. an unhealthy thing certainly, but like, yeah, yeah I, Huh. It's funny that you bring those two that we bring, we bring those two topics up because that's also when I was a phone sex operator, that was like two things that people tried with me and I just could not eat because you're only allowed one hard limit. Mm. When, well, oh, my hard limit was bestiality. Okay. Yeah. But I got someone who wanted to do an incest fantasy and I was like, I, oh, fuck no. Yeah. And I kind of like barely answered them for like two minutes and then I froze and then they hung up <laughs> but oh. I was like oh I, oh I don't even yeah no I I don't think I could do that either that's it's a lot but yeah I do I will say when it comes to those two kind of just categories I do give a very broad definition like it is sexual intercourse with a member of the family and then I say any other information you go you go home and you ask at home there you go. I do. I that provide is the fact. The Webster's Dictionary. Yes. You know, basic information. That is the definition. That's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I will say when it comes to kind of the older students wanting to know about like positions of sex, that is also something that I say, you know what, that's not going to add to your educational value here at school. But again, if you want to ask a parent, I'm more than happy with that. That's a very good way to answer it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, I do, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Kids will ask. <laughs> Have you watched all of sex education yet? Oh yes. <laughs> it's so good. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get up to speed on the, like the new season and everything, but mm -hmm. um, I'm getting my boyfriend to watch it now. Oh good. It's like, well, this seems like a really good show so far, like pretty sex positive. I'm like, even when there's times where there's things that are problematic, they address it. That's the whole yeah. point. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. When he was watching the very first episode, he's like, I don't know if I can, I can watch this because some of this is, I'm like, that's the whole point, babe. You've got to have the story evolution. You've got to have things resolve, right? You can't just have everyone know how to do the right stuff right off the bat. Exactly. Yes. But has that show, have you had kids watch that show and then come ask you questions? I have not. I will say I am starting to think about doing something like that where we like watch an episode as like homework and then we discuss in class. But a huge part of my curriculum is minimal technology, mm. especially because of the year that we're coming off of. I feel like kids are so kind of reliant on the tech. So a lot of my activities and group work is tech free. 
We do a lot of journaling. We do a lot of interactive work with one another, chatting, discussions. So, but I, that is a fantastic idea and I am thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, even if you just watch clips of certain Mm -hmm. situations and, you know. Absolutely. Yes. And I will say with like, um, sometimes we listen to music and we figure out kind of suggestive lyrics and maybe why someone would want to write music in that way. (laughs) Kind of the whole sex sells concept. Yes. Yes. Or what makes this problematic? Exactly. How can we break this down (laughs) and figure out exactly what's okay about it and what's not so great? Yeah. I'll tell you one piece of music that I find not so great is Beastie Boys, Brass Monkey. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. I have yeah. messaged and tweeted and called, well, it was the buzz here in town. Now it's actually changed stations, but Jeremy, oh. the music director at 96.5, the buzz so many times, I'm like, please stop playing a song that's about giving women Spanish fly. Not great. No, it's about giving women date rape drugs. And then they accidentally drug themselves. Like, okay, that's the, the punchline to the story, but they're still talking about the intent of drugging a woman for obviously bad purposes like Mm -hmm. bill cosby got canceled for a reason (laughs) like i'm not trying to cancel the beastie boys but can we please stop playing that song yeah i don't think people even know that that's what it's about no they don't because it's just they listen to the tune and Mm -hmm. they hum to the lyrics yeah and that's a big that's a big one too is we're kind of blind or deaf to a lot of the the words that we're singing along to and for me, yeah. kind of a local band here is Maroon 5. Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. that song called Animals. And every time I hear it, I just like, I get so like uncomfortable. Admittedly, I don't listen to much that plays Maroon 5. <laughs> and if I hear Good. something that sounds like Adam Levine, I kind of do change the station, but I tend to listen to Spotify and it's not in my, my playlist. But what is that song all about? It's about, it's like the men are like predators and the women are prey. And I don't know the exact kind of lyrics verbatim, but every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> mm, I might have to listen. Yeah, I might have to listen to it just to like have something to say about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But also, I mean, when WAP came out, a lot of students were asking about that song. Uh-huh. Yeah, how did so, yeah, those conversations of, go? <laughs> the, honestly, I think they were fantastic. I good. think a lot of the girls really appreciated kind of the empowerment behind the lyrics and kind of pointing out that double standard of well men can do this why can't women do this bingo exactly so again having those conversations I think is so important for our kids to know what they're listening to and know what's going on yeah and I think for you especially as an educator it's important for you to be tapped into pop culture and understand what what is the media even if your class is media free ish what media are they consuming? Because it, pop culture does affect kids' lives heavily, especially when it comes to sex and healthy relationships and all that stuff. Absolutely. And a huge thing that I'm seeing more and more each year, honestly, each month, it's so bad, is body image. Mm-hmm. Our kids are having body image issues that would normally be seen like in the teenage years or even in the 20s, like before they even turn 10. Are you aware of some of the stuff that's come out about Facebook actually understanding? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah. So 
internal memos from Instagram have shown that they were fully aware of some of the effects that their social media platform was having on girls specifically uh, in their body image. Um, I'm trying to think about what else that article was talking about, but you're a teacher, you're seeing it firsthand. It's horrific. I mean, it, it comes out in so many different ways, but ultimately it's, it's boys and girls. I'm seeing a lot of it in the boys. And I mean, especially, I feel like a lot of movies, like superhero movies, the boys will look at those extremely brawny men who have eaten nothing but chicken and rice for six months and worked out eight hours a day and say, I'm going to look like that when I grow up. And I mean, I've seen kids not want to eat lunch because they want to look that way or want to do exercise that's just not healthy for their bodies at that age. Yeah. Well, and also look at even within those movies, uh, Thor, his character having the out of shape Thor versus the buff Thor and the, the talk in the media around all that. And then Chris Pratt, you know, he and him going from, you know, fluffy doughy, uh, Andy, was it Andy Dwyer? Uh, was that his character name on Parks and Recreation? Oh, to, mm-hmm. Yeah, being super buff for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Those boys hear those conversations too. Just Absolutely. like they hear the actresses being asked about what'd you do to get buff to be Black Widow? Mm-hmm. Or what undergarments were you wearing underneath your suit? That for interview every sake. time. Oh, it's the worst. <gasps> yeah, they didn't they didn't ask Mark Ruffalo what he was wearing underneath his <laughs> stuff when he was doing the green screen to change it. No, there's never those conversations. Mm-mm. No one asked Captain America what kind of tidy whities he had on underneath that suit either. Nope. Nope. So <sighs> it is, and it really is. Our kids are seeing that, especially here kind of in the city of the industry, mm-hmm. our kids are really exposed to it, especially because, again, their parents are within that world. So a lot of the parents think, okay, well, we'll expose them to this world as well. When those implications are kind of just not implied in a lot of their minds, they don't understand the harm that it can have to have their students really kind of viewing this material without conversation. Again, I think anything is okay with the appropriate open dialogue. But yeah. without it, it's there's too much room for interpretation to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, and the subtleties of messaging in media and it's a whole, I mean, th- things are designed a certain way for a certain reason. They're designed for us to consume them in specific ways to influence us yeah. and the way that we act, what we buy, Mm-hmm. how we spend our time all the things yeah. exactly yeah and getting kids to understand that is again it's scaffold in my class my goal is by the time they graduate and go on to college or however they choose to kind of enter adulthood um, is that they are aware of kind of what role the media plays good. and how it shouldn't take over their lives <laughs> good good well, let's take a, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. And then after the break, I want to get into a little bit more detail, not a little, a lot more detail about your book. Give us the ins and outs. And uh, of course, we'll get you the information listeners at the end so that you know how to support Allie's Kickstarter and get a copy of From ABC to STD for yourself. So 
All right, we'll pick up after the break. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Okay, so we're back from the break. And again, I want to dive in a little bit more about your book. First of all, how are you How are you publishing? Are you self-publishing? Did you find a publisher? Yeah, so I'm self-published. I, I, I hear that's so easy these days, really, truly. Yeah, so basically, I just, I finished the manuscript and I sent it to a printer. And then it. I now have a distribution center in Colorado. Some, I wanted to, to be central so I can mm-hmm. get it out to as many people kind of in in easy, quote unquote, easy way. I will say COVID with shipping has been pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like owning my material is really special. And then being able to distribute it um, after the Kickstarter is going to be really exciting too. Well, I did order a signed copy. So <laughs> I love getting so signed excited. copies of books for real. Yes, I know. But- oh, can't wait. So again, you do tell a little bit of your story on your Kickstarter campaign, but tell, tell me, tell the listeners more about, more about like what really made you like, okay, it's time to write a book and this is what I need to write it about. Yeah. So kind of two years into teaching sex education, I realized that I was teaching the parents more than I was teaching the kids. Mm. And to me, I thought, okay, you know what? I need to write something to address this educational gap. And it will, at the end of the day, it's going to allow me to be a better educator because if I have support at home, I'll be able to do magic in the classroom even more. So Very it good. really, yeah, it kind of just came from that, that need, that parent need and me wanting to address that need in a fun way in 132 pages. <laughs> Can you give me any anecdotes about times that you were maybe talking to a parent when like, Oh, oh, I need to, I got to teach you some lessons first. Yes. Well, my favorite email, which I do talk about in the Kickstarter is I had a parent email me and she said, Allie, if sex was a foreign language, I would not be fluent. Oh, (laughs) and how sad is that from someone who's reproduced? You've obviously had sex, but hey, at least they were willing to be honest with you about it. And that is what I was so thankful for. I just was like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying this and admitting it because now I can help you even more. (laughs) Hey, kind of that first step is saying there's a problem here. There's a knowledge gap. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I definitely, a lot of the other kind of parent interactions that have been hard, a lot of them have been like sexist or kind of racist undertones Mm -hmm. Um, as a woman of color teaching children. I think I, those are kind of the biggest barriers that I've come into of contact with is do you really know what you're talking about (laughs) or okay like they're trying to figure out culturally where I stand again those ethics and morals Mm -hmm. and that is that huge part that I tell the parents before I even start teaching their kids is I'm not the ethics and morals person that's you I'm just here to present the facts I have a doctorate in this material I know what I'm talking about you at home get to do all that fun stuff yes Yes. But yeah, that's I'm curious though, when, you know, when you get into talking about the the ethics and morals part though, Mm -hmm. can there sometimes be 
I guess, muddled lines where on one hand, you simply see it as, especially, I guess what I'm thinking about is LGBT, queer sex, things like that. Queer sex ed doesn't really exist in this country. Sex ed is very heteronormative. Absolutely. So even the inclusion of talking about sex or to, uh, for a lesbian and what that looks like or a non-binary person or simply referring to genitals uh, in a non-binary way, you're simply, you know, you can touch yourself this way, you, your clitoris, your penis, penis, whatever, penis owner, that's the thing. When you say penis mm -hmm. owner, not male or vulva owner, not female. Yep. In the effort to, I guess, be as inclusionary as you can, do you get pushback from people as that's being political? I have not received pushback in that way yet. I don't want to say I've never gotten it because as soon as I do that, it'll jinx myself. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're right. I think I definitely, I do use the word penis owner a lot. Mm -hmm. And I do use the word vulva owner um, in terms of like intersex. I, I discuss everything. Nothing's kind of off the table when it comes to sexual intercourse, I explain vaginal, oral, and anal. Mm -hmm. And I say between two consenting partners, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. So I really, I try not to say a man and a woman or a woman and a woman or a man and a man. I just kind of leave that up to my kids. Like this is what sex is. Two consenting partners, the world is your oyster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's kind of more or less what I, imp or at least try to impart on my students. Mm -hmm. Now you did touch base on something there that I'm curious about because of what I'm writing my book about. Mm -hmm. My book is more about race and dating in America mm -hmm. and specifically yeah. how white Christianity influences their children in mm -hmm. things like purity culture, uh, don't be gay and don't date outside your race. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what were some of those racist or even borderline questionable things that maybe some parents have brought up when it comes to like in this realm that you're trying to educate people on. Yeah. I will say here in Los Angeles, a lot of the racism is not overt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very much so like they don't realize that it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, like I've been confused for the Spanish teacher because of my surname, uh, which is <laughs> always fun. And I'm just like, no, I'm so sorry to tell you. And that's not my not my job at the school. Um, and like, also like just people making assumptions, kind of those snap judgments of, oh, is she going to do a good job at teaching our children this? Or should she be the right one? You can kind of feel that judgment sometimes. Um, or as a woman who does have curves, I always am, I feel very pressured to dress almost like a nun every day <laughs> to kind of conceal my body mm. um, in a way that's appropriate to be teaching children about their sexualities and about their identities. Uh, meaning if you have even a slightest hint of cleavage or, or like yeah. they're popping up because, you know, you have appendages on your body that stick out. They're called breasts. They just exactly. exist. Yep. That Yeah. Unless you're made to look like you don't have them, you're somehow what dressing provocatively or. Mm -hmm. exactly and I to be a teacher yeah no totally and I that's a big fear of mine is oh sweet god please don't let me <laughs> dress in a way that's suggestive because it is this is definitely a job that has the potential to be controversial anywhere in the world I am in a very beautiful progressive city 
but I am still afraid of coming off in a way that's too suggestive mm-hmm. or too progressive or too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say I haven't gotten any complaints, but that's kind of an internal kind of worry that I have every day. It's the story you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Something that exactly. hasn't happened yet. Yes. But it <laughs> it sounds like what you're trying to do is approach it as let me simply make sure there's as few potential obstacles as possible yep. and then operate that way. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I do. I take my job very seriously because it is such an important thing for our kids to have. I mean, yeah, yeah. they'll use it every day. Yeah. So your book I see has three sections. Mm-hmm. Section one is about through the years. Section two is about science or slang. And section three is visual learning. So tell tell us a little bit more about how your book is set up and what again sort of the goal and intent is of these different sections. Yeah. So through the years is where it starts. Um, and I go from age zero, so literally conception and in utero development, all the way to age 18. So for each year, there is bullet points of like normal changes and behaviors that your child will exhibit. And that section is really for parents to go, oh, okay, I'm seeing this. That's great. Good to know it's normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I also include pictures of myself from each of those age groups, which is kind of fun. And it hopefully makes the reader feel like they've known me personally, which I think is a good kind of just that is a cute touch. I like that. Yeah. And then um, for the next section, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking. Science or slang. (laughs) Science or slang. It was one of my favorites to write because this is an activity that I do every year is I put up the scientific, the real names, penis, vagina, breasts, and the kids have to, on a big post-it, write down all the slang they've heard to describe that body part. Love it. And so I've basically kind of compiled bullets of some of my favorite things I've heard the kids say, and they are hilarious. Uh, Yeah. I'm looking at some of them that you have listed on your uh, site here and like petting the kitty. Love that. Uh, Rubbing the nub made me (laughs) giggle a little bit. Uh. I was dying. I'm like the fact that these children have heard these or use these is just hilarious. Um, But I do. And before every section, I should also um, bring up, I have five friendly reminders for parents. So like for science or slang, one of my friendly reminders is when something's stigmatized, there's going to be a nickname and it's probably going to be outrageous. Mm -hmm. And uh, a way that I explain that to parents a lot of the time is with marijuana. How many different names for marijuana have we come up with? (laughs) Just hundreds. And so that's kind of a fun way that I explain it to the older students is we've got a drug it was illegal for so many years. It was stigmatized. Now it's on every corner. We have like an Apple store for marijuana down the street from me. Like it's just become so normal. Nice. It's just the norm. And we finally got dispensaries here in Missouri. I've got Woo! one. I live by Costco in Midtown. We've got one right across from Costco. Amazing. Yeah. See, it's, and- called, it's called Fresh Karma. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, the weed analogy, I think is really kind of a good icebreaker mm-hmm. for parents and the older students but yeah so I go through all the different body parts and functions we talk about like sexual intercourse masturbation and all the words that have been used to describe those um, body parts or I like to call them the functions of the body parts 
Perfect. All good stuff. And then visual learning. I was so grateful to find an illustrator willing to take this on, but I go through a ton of different, I have 52 illustrations, one for each week of the year. And it explains something that's really important for parents to discuss with their children. So the first one is alphabet soup. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if alphabet soup is on there. You have drag on your webs. On the oh, I've got drag. I love <laughs> So cute. Yes. That's a great oh, illustration. It's so fun. It's, there's RuPaul is in the audience. If you see him with his yes. monocle. Yes. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's Dorothy and all the Wizard of Oz characters in drag. And so it's, again, just kind of trying to explain what drag is. It's an art form. It's something that we can appreciate and enjoy and celebrate all that good stuff. But yeah, drag historically has not been discussed with children, Mm -hmm. but I will say there's been an amazing kind of push to including drag in like children's storybook time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Amazing. I love drag queen story hours that go on at public libraries. I think they're fabulous. And obviously RuPaul, RuPaul is now like the most awarded person in television history. And I adore him. (laughs) Yes. So there's no ignoring. I mean, I remember first talking about RuPaul at a hairdresser appointment when I was like 13, when they came out with their like song, work, like work. I don't even remember what the title is. Right. But I just remember like the chorus of it. RuPaul has been a part of the conversation and definitely elevated drag in a way that nobody would have expected in the 90s. Absolutely. It's impossible for a kid to not know what drag is these days, I feel like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here in LA, I mean, I love going to drag brunch or drag bingo are Mm -hmm. my two favorite things to do. And there are always children present. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate that so much that their parents are willing to bring them to these amazing events that go on. I've definitely seen kids at drag brunch and drag bingo here in KC as well. Um, We've got the Fountain City Sisters here in Kansas City, which is an offshoot of a group from LA. Um, But they're everywhere. They were at the Renaissance Fest. Oh my God, I heard the most amazing conversation between a dad and his teen son because they had all just gathered around and gotten pictures with, several of the sisters and I was walking by, I was like, Hey sisters. They're like, Hey, because one of them recognized me from events. But then as they kind of went on, I think the son must've asked some sort of a question. And I heard his dad just be like, well, you know, people like to express themselves differently. And sometimes that's just putting on a fun costume and makeup and, you know, doing a gender bender thing where, you know, because so, sometimes people wake up feeling one way one day and then a different way the next day. And you just never know. It's just different strokes for different folks. Son. And someone's just kind of like, okay. And this kid was maybe 13 or 12. See, that conversation, that kid's never going to forget that. Never. But I, I even like grabbed my boyfriend and my friend was like, oh my God, that dad just had the best little conversation with his son. I kind of wanted to go up and high five and be like, dad, you just, you did great there. Oh, I would have totally been like, you're the best. (laughs) Yes. And no, and those conversations are worth their weight in gold. They really are. Even if it doesn't feel like it, or even if internally the parent is just like, holy hell, holy hell, what's going on? Help me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like not saying anything isn't going to do anything for your child. 
Yeah. I often tell parents, cause I mean, I am working with adults and some of those adults have children and they are working through their own stuff, Yeah, but then they've also got kids at home that they've got to talk to about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the thing I have always said is it's going to be awkward. It is. And it's okay to simply acknowledge that awkwardness and say, okay, this is really hard to talk about for me. It's going to be a little embarrassing, maybe for both of us, but here it is. And we're going to get through it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. I think when you just address that awkwardness, it removes it. Yep. Absolutely. And I will say in visual learning that section too, a huge uh, kind of theme that I bring up as well as mental health, because hmm. that's a big part of my unit of study with kindergarten through 12th grade students is understanding our emotions and then understanding why mental health is just as important as physical health as we evolve into adulthood. Oh, I love that. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> well, and, and I do think that our sexuality is highly tied to our mental health. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. If, if you feel like you are having to suppress anything about yourself or you're worried that the things that you like or the fetishes that you start, you're starting to see develop, that they're wrong or they're dirty and that you can't be honest about it with your partner, you can't be authentic around your friends. It affects your mental health heavily. Absolutely. Yep. And having kids understand Because I think a lot of students these days, we've had a lot more kids wanting to go to the nurse. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it's like, well, there's nothing physically wrong with this child. But what I tell the nurse or the parents is this is a cry for help in some way that might not be physically able to be seen, (laughs) AKA their mental health is probably taking, there's a little bit of a toll going on Mm -hmm. or that's kind of being paid right now. And I mean, we're all just trying to survive a global pandemic. Our kids are too. And I think it, it's really important for us to realize that our children have mental health too. It's not just adults. Right. right. And being able to express it in words as opposed to saying, I don't feel good and sit in the nurse's office and have the nurse go, well, you're okay. <laughs> you're not throwing up. You don't have a fever. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, giving the kids kind of just the ability to express how they feel. I mean, hopefully by the time that these kids are in 12th grade and above, they're able to express 42 different emotions in my class. We go through the definitions of 42 complex emotions, which starts with six. Mm -hmm. Six is what kindergartners start with. So it does, it, it scaffolds and evolves, but so that they're hopefully able to just go from, I feel bad to, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit anxious because of, and give us some context. Oh, I love that. I, Cause I'm, I'm thinking about a conversation that I had recently on Facebook with someone who this man was very much maintaining that, that women basically are trying to tell men how to feel. Mm. And he's like, I, I, Feel, I feel all the same emotions that you do. It's just that you all are too emotional. And I was like, could I pose a question to you that is it that women are too emotional or is it that women have been taught what emotions actually feel like and they've been given more of a license to publicly display them mm-hmm. versus men not being given the context or the language around certain emotions and then they're also not given the luxury of permission to express them. 
Absolutely. And started a conversation, but I think that is so beautiful that you are teaching your students how to actually tap into what are they really feeling so that, like you say, it's not just, I'm just, I just feel bad. So therefore it's anger. Yeah. Or yeah. the anger comes out when you can't actually express yourself. Cause when, when you are feeling just a, like a ball of emotion and you cannot express it, it can devolve into just anger Absolutely. and frustration. Yeah. And that's a huge part of once we identify our emotions, we create what I like to call um, emotion management uh, skills. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like, if you're feeling this way, what's a great way that we can in a healthy way, express that or maybe distract ourselves from it until we're able to get some serious help. So it's like, exercise, listening to music, like all of those things. Journaling. Journaling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Art, um, mm -hmm. all that good stuff. But we do, I really do try to give them a toolkit that they're able to really kind of pull out when it's needed. And until, I mean, I will say most of my students do have some type of mental health professional available, which is unbelievable that we're able to have that. Mm -hmm. But until they're able to maybe sit down with that person, I want them to know you are not helpless. There are ways that you yourself can make yourself feel better until you're given instructions from a medical professional. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. I am curious about one topic in particular and how you address mm -hmm. it and sort of where you introduce it because, well, it's porn. Okay. The, currently the median age for the first time a kid is exposed to porn and I think it's age 11 right now. That's just mm -hmm. the median. <laughs> that just means the there's median. definitely kids younger who yep. are getting exposed to it. So, and also thinking about the parents and mm -hmm. how do you address pornography with your parents and students? Absolutely. So yeah, porn comes up pretty quickly, especially with the male population. Um, because I feel like just culturally, they're the ones who are quote unquote allowed to view porn. Mm-hmm. I feel like if girls view porn, it's seen as, oh God, why is she doing that? Or, ooh, no. Uh -uh. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I got I got that the first time I got caught with porn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And so I do, I address it. And by the way, all of my classes, there is no gender segregation at all. It is mm -hmm. full group all the time. Good, good. <laughs> separating the boys and the girls, like we're going to take the boys in the other room and teach them about their testes and their penis and their prostate. And then the girls about their ovaries and their, no. no. Boys we need to know about everything. periods and we need to know about balls, like <laughs> all the things. Absolutely. But yes, yeah, so we all learn about porn together. And the first thing that I say is that porn is a performance. It is a production mm. that is put on for consumption. And I say, so everything that you see in porn was very, it was scripted. <laughs> there is a camera there. There's probably a whole team. Mm-hmm that is creating something for mass consumption. That is such is, a good way to describe it. Right? And I, there's, it's an illustration. It's called the production of porn. <laughs> and there's two enormous porn actors and kind of on the bottom are all these little people running around like the gaffer with a little light, <laughs> someone filming the whole thing. But again, it's to give the students kind of that full perspective of, oh, this isn't like a beautiful, intimate setting, or this isn't what I'm going to expect my first time having sexual intercourse and kind of giving them that knowledge because we're not going to stop our kids from viewing porn, nor do I think we should stop our children from viewing porn. Right. Um, 
And I also explained to them kind of that a lot of pornography is created by people who might not be getting what they deserve in terms of pay. Yes. Yes. And that sex workers are workers. They are doing a job and that there are things that are kind of happening right now that are helping them. Like um, we have the condom usage that's Mm -hmm. now becoming more prevalent in pornography um, videos, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Kind of showing safe sex happening between partners is great. Yes. Um, And then also kind of explaining to them that there are more ethical sites to view porn. And then if you pay for porn, that it's actually better for the people who make the porn. 100%. Yeah. So explaining it kind of in that way is really helpful for them as well as for the parents. And I mean, I, I do have students who pay for porn and will like openly talk about that with one another. And I think that that's great. And it's, it becomes a conversation as opposed to some, someone kind of hiding their porn usage or mm-hmm. being ashamed of porn usage. I think that's the more unhealthy alternative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I feel good because I was, I talk about mostly the same things <laughs> with my adult <laughs> clients too there. But yeah. I mean, ethical porn truly is a thing. And my, my biggest point about that is at least when you're paying for your content, you know, they're being paid appropriate wages. You know, everyone was of age, you know, everyone participating was consenting and yeah, all the good stuff that I think for me is an important part of how I'm trying to shift my, how I spend my dollar and how I participate in capitalism. Um, You know, people need to be paid a fair wage for their job and sex work is work. And I don't want to just go to a free site and it's a video someone downloaded from somewhere else. And now they're getting the, the click revenue. Absolutely. No. I want the and person say, in it to get the money. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I will say we, we have had it come up kind of from an anonymous question box about revenge porn mm-hmm. and people taking videos of themselves or pictures of themselves and having that surface on the internet without consent. Mm-hmm. And me explaining that that's not an okay thing to do with other people's images or videos that they've been sent, <laughs> right. all that good stuff. Um, and then also child pornography is something that I've discussed how that's just not okay. It's illegal under the law, can't mm-hmm. do it. And how you do have to be very careful with suggestive images or messages that you send amongst one another. Yeah, because I think I mean, I'm not in that world right now, but what I understand is that there are some states that if teenagers aren't careful, if it's a 15-year-old boy and a 17-year-old girl, like they may only be like that far apart in age, but Mm -hmm. if they're sending nude Snapchats, they, they also need to be conscientious of the fact that even them putting themselves out there, there could then be someone down the line that gets a hold of that and uses it for nefarious purposes. And it is technically child pornography, even if you're 16, 17 years old, yeah. you're not at the age of consent. And people can get a hold of that stuff. And things on the internet are hard to remove. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm I sure it's a really explain. delicate conversation with the kids. It is. It is. And I will say that usually comes up kind of towards the end, that 11th, 12th grade mm-hmm. um, kind of age group. But a lot of kids do worry about it. 
or have a lot of questions because that is the age where that kind of media sharing becomes more normalized. But I will say earlier, like a few weeks ago, I had eight-year-olds sending genital pictures to one another. Eight. So, Learned it from somewhere. Absolutely. It's a lot of mirrored behaviors. Um, but I did have to have a conversation with mom, dad, and the child mm-hmm. <laughs> and explain how this is just not something that we're able to do. And it's just not an okay thing to share with others on that platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one thing to play doctor at a friend's house. The other thing to share it via text message. Yeah. I was gonna say, were they doing text messages or did they have like an, an app or something? It was the WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, WhatsApp being a Facebook subsidiary. Um, now I called Meta. Meta. Yes. Well, Meta is responsible for 94% of all child sex abuse material on the internet. Mm-hmm. Like of the 16 some odd million images in 2019, like 15 some odd million of them were on a Facebook app, mostly uh, WhatsApp and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is not just adults sending this stuff. It is sometimes kids, but yeah, I think that there's definitely some things that need to be done. <laughs> I mean, if we're giving them just free access to messaging apps like Snapchat and WhatsApp, mm-hmm. it's a slippery slope. It is. It is. And I will say, I've been trying to kind of come up with a dig- like a digital literacy component of my curriculum because all my kids have one of these. They've got a, they've got a phone. Yeah. And a lot of the time they're not taught how to use the phone correctly mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even a computer or an iPad. And especially coming off of a pandemic, knock on wood, we're almost out of the woods here. They were given access to technology that they weren't given to before. Mm-hmm. And we're on devices for hours on end. So it did give them that kind of freedom to explore what's out there. And you're right. If they're not being monitored correctly or having those open conversations with parents or other caregivers, it does. It's it, You could easily go down that rabbit hole of being one of those 15 million photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Easy to do. you are doing fantastic work. I'm sure that I'm sure you're going to be one of those educators that one day you just have all these students who think back on you fondly and think about all the wonderful lessons that you imparted. And, you know, thank goodness I had, you know, Dr. Allie as my teacher because I wouldn't have learned all these things. And like you, you're probably doing the kind of work that you won't really recognize the impact that you're having until like these kids have kids yeah, and these generational things start occurring. Like, I look forward to a world one day that is incredibly sex positive and destigmatized. And we each just get to go let our own freak flags fly as high as we want because there's other people out there doing it too. And again, we just live our lives by being safe, sane, and consensual with all the things that we do. Safe, sane, that needs to be a candle. Safe, sane, and consensual. It's the um, BDSM motto <laughs> the kink motto right yes it's beautiful well how can the people find you there's still time left to get in on dr melinda's kickstarter so how do they find you 
Yes. So if you look up from ABC to STD on Kickstarter, I am right there. I am. Uh, I was actually amazed to be selected as a project we love on Kickstarter. Congrats! They it was a I saw project. that. Thank you. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but yes, Kickstarter from ABC to STD, and then hopefully, I'll have another distribution channel coming soon. Maybe. Uh, a website or available on Amazon, but for now it's just the Kickstarter. Okay. Well, I see that your Kickstarter goes through December 2nd. Of course, there'll be plenty of time from the time this episode is up until then, but I may have people listen to this episode later. So what are your social media channels that they can just find you on? Sure. It's Dr. Uh, Allie underscore Melendez. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Oh yes. Yeah, sorry. On Instagram. And then I did just create a book Instagram as well, which is on Instagram uh, from ABC to STD. Very good. Very yes. good. Well, I'll be happy to share that information out and like you, you. can yeah, you know, look at all my social channels too and find links to her stuff as well. But thank you it. so much. It was such an honor to have you on my show. Oh, I was so happy to be here and it was a great convo. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you enjoy the rest of your day and I wish you all the success in the world. You've already met your Kickstarter goal. So oh. anyone who's getting a book now is just going to be one of the lucky ones that gets to have a signed copy if you go that route. But uh, yeah, I do think that this is very important and I'm really glad that you wrote this book. Thank you so much. I can't wait for your book coming soon. Yes. Oh. Well, NaNoWriMo is National no Novel Writing Month is November and I'm uh, I have not written as many words this month as I hoped, but you know, it's had still the beginning. It is still the beginning. I've had some stuff going on with, with my mom and her health. And so trying to take my laptop in and type in between the doctors coming in and out, but yeah. it's a challenge. Although I will say this, I did get to finally clarify something with her. Hmm. So most of my listeners have listened to previous episodes and know that my book is about sort of toxic white Christianity's influence on dating in America. Mm. Kind of just writing through my lens as having been brought up Baptist. I knew as a small child that I was not supposed to have a boyfriend that wasn't white, mm. specifically not black for some reason. Right. And in her loopiness post-brain surgery, she asked what I was writing about. And I said, well, I'm, I'm working on the book. And she's like, what's your book about again? I'm like, it's not an indictment against you and dad, but it is a very honest look at the values that were imparted upon me, not just by you, but by our whole extended family, by the churches that we went to, by my community, by my teachers, by my peers, because most of my peers were also white Christians. Mm. I'm sure most of my teachers were white Christians too. Yeah. And I said, I'm just curious, like, did your parents ever tell you that you shouldn't date someone that wasn't white? She's like, no, I don't really, I don't really remember anything like that. I'm like, so you never got a message from grandma, and grandpa, don't date someone that's not black. She's like, no, no. Like, did you just kind of know it wasn't really allowed? She was like, yeah, I mean, socially amongst like my peers, it wasn't really, you know, something people liked, but. She's like, I just didn't want you dating a black guy because I had this one guy in college that stalked me that would like corner me sometimes and mm. all of a sudden he was black. I'm like, so you just developed an aversion to black people culturally because of this one person? 
she was like, Kristen, he was just so awful. And I saw a lot of black men that were really aggressive in that way and just weren't, weren't respecting boundaries. And I just didn't want you to go through that. And I was like, okay. But if we had had that conversation when Mm -hmm. I was a kid versus you just telling me I shouldn't date black boys, things could have been a lot different. Absolutely. Yep. That open communication. It's, it's the key to everything. Yep. And again, yeah. my goal is to just kind of open the floodgates in that way. <laughs> it's so necessary. It really is yeah. so necessary because I mean, I don't want people to be an adult and being faced with like the mortality of their parent and have questions left unanswered or, you know, to be 40 years old and then finally have these things revealed like, oh, that's why you thought those things. That's why you raised me this way. Like, yeah. Yeah. I will say a lot of my friends here in LA have divorced parents who have been divorced before, including myself. Both of my parents were divorced before meeting. And I didn't know about it until college. Mm-hmm. And we, a lot of my friends are just now finding it out too. And it's, again, it's that like, why did you not want us to know that mm-hmm. you made a mistake in your past? Mm-hmm. Like it, we should talk about it so that that cycle doesn't repeat itself. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that open. Oh, the secrets that get revealed. Uh, Exactly. I I can tell you one last funny story if you're up for it. Please do. Yes. So this is probably the best parent um, kind of comment I've ever gotten was we had just defined oral, anal, and vaginal at school. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't put gender to any of the partners. I just explain what the sexual intercourses are and that consent is always needed. Mm-hmm. And this one girl goes home and she's eating dinner with her mom and dad. And she said, mom, dad, today we learned about anal sex. And I was thinking about it. You all could have anal sex if you wanted to. And they're in the middle of eating dinner. And the mom, without even like taking a break from eating, she just goes, yeah, but only on special occasions, sweetie. <laughs> And to this day, I'm like, she is the coolest mom. And I wish that everyone had a mom like you. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. That's great. That's a, that's a, without missing a beat. That sounds like a good mom there. Right. right? For sure. She's a comedy writer for television. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. That's a good one. I love it. Right. But yeah, only on special occasions do they have anal sex in their household. And the fact that that came out over dinner with a 12 year old little girl beautiful we should be able to talk about sex like it's the weather just like dr emily morse says exactly absolutely yeah (laughs) all right well again thank you so much i wish you all the best and anyone that's listening check the show notes for links i've got you covered there awesome thank you so much thank you Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. 
My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.